right, everybody, welcome in to what is now a week into the the real off season since it's officially the 2021 league league year. We are in free agency. There's been a plethora of moves all over the NFL. A plethora of moves that are affecting uh, the two of us here in the at the Blue and Orange Football Podcast. Uh, Presented by Blue Wire Hustle, I am your host, Jacob, over at Rochism13 on Twitter. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Isaac, over at Isaac10G on Twitter. I got a little bit of feedback here, so I'm going to turn my thing down just a little bit. There we go. Yeah, so if I, if, if I give you guys a whole bunch of feedback tonight, I am sorry. I am talking really, really loudly. So we've got a special guest tonight. Um, he is a member of Blue Wire Hustle, along with us. His podcast is yet to launch. However, um, he is a massive Giants fan. He told us that, unfortunately, his co-host is a Dallas Cowboys fan. Uh, he well, why would you even do that to yourself? I know, dude. I said the same thing, too. You, you, when we're we're going to get him on here in a minute. you you got to ask him right out the gate, just a tag. But like, hey, man. <laughs> he did. He told me that yesterday. He's like, unfortunately, she's a Dallas Cowboys fan. And I was like, that could make they, – they do a baseball podcast, so. Yeah. But uh, uh, Jeff Bartley is our guest this evening. Um, we're just going to go over there. We're going to have a nice conversation with him, and then we'll be back and talk a little bit about uh, Jadavia and Clowney because, yeah, that's the thing I have to talk about today. So let's hop on over there. All right. Okay, yeah. All right. So um, we got a special guest in tonight. Um, Jeff is a Giants fan. We have a Giants fan for the first time to come on here on the podcast so that they can uh, – team up against me and my obnoxious ranting about the Cleveland Browns. So, Jeff, welcome. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, thanks for having me. And I got to, you know, I don't know if we want to call this a coming out party, but I actually did grow up, uh, my father misguided me, a Cowboys fan. Oh, boy. Around 2001, I saw the light. I was... 13 years old, and I realized what I was surrounded by, and I said, just hate me. <laughs> you know, the importance is right there is you found a path to redemption. Exactly. And, and you're there, and you're through thick and thin. You know, the highs and lows of uh, New York Giants fandom right now, okay, if you're there, it's still a much better place to be than a Cowboys fan or Eagles fan or, or Washington football team fan. I mean, you can't beat it. Can you? Let's not sell, let, let's celebrate the fact that I came to the party now that I was late. Exactly. You got there. You showed up. That's all. The party is not over. I no, was just getting going. I, 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 I side note on this because I say it every time I bring this up. I feel like like what are you a fan of? Oh, the football team. Which one? No, the football team. <laughs> I just so I told you this, Jeff, pr- prior to the show, and I and, and I gave you a, a second to ponder on it to see if you hate, knew the two people that, that get that take the most shots on this podcast, and I'm going to tell you right now because he's he's I can see his face. He's getting ready to take shots at these guys. One is the infamous Dave Gettleman. We do not like Dave Gettleman on this show. I hope that he proves us wrong this year, but I have some comments about Dave Gettleman. The second is a man that, as Isaac will tell you, cannot catch a cold. He can't. He can't catch a cold, and that's Evan Ingram. Evan Ingram takes shots on this show on the regular. (laughs) 
it's always nice little jabs in there that I slip into a rant or a, you know, a thought. It's just, you know, it's nice to have a tight end that can actually touch a cold or, you know, <laughs> and you're standing it, 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 it's all over the place. But nonetheless, those are my kind of like uh, public enemy number number one and number one. As a New York Giants, not a Dave Gellman fan. I'm not necessarily not an Evan Ingram fan, if that makes sense, right? So my stance on Evan Ingram is this. I think he's extremely talented. I think that he has a terrible hand, especially last season. Um, that cost us a couple games, actually. Uh, nonetheless, I'm not, I'm not necessarily the jury's out, let's get rid of Evan Ingram, so to speak. I think there's a um, potential. I think he can develop under Joe Judge, uh, but I've got to see more this season compared to last season. So, yeah, last season I've been, I've been dogging on pretty hard, but, uh, you know, we would beat the Eagles if he had just caught a pass, but he didn't, and we lost. So. It, it, it seems like a low bar, but, you know, I, I think with this signing of Rudolph from Minnesota, you know, I think we're getting an upgrade, but it's, well, I agree with you, Ingram. It's not just an ability to catch the ball in clutch moments. If you think I can't pass the block whatsoever. And I, mean, I think the biggest struggle the Giants are going to have going into this offseason, we'll see what they do with the draft, is the offense is horrible. And you can throw every single, you know, up and coming, maybe it has been previously injured, all star lineup. Unless you protect that, it's not happening. Ingram, how many stacks do we see? It's five or six at least. Yeah, and I think that's one of the one of the big reasons they brought in Kyle Rudolph. Just, he's a decent pass block. He's not the best pass best pass block in tight end, but he's an upgrade to what we have, right? And I told uh, I told Jake here last week that one of the reasons that I like the Kevin Rudolph signing is hopefully that this. Ignites the fire, so to speak, under Evan Ingram, right? He's not the only tight end in town. He's not the only number one type of tight end. Farrell uh, Rudolph has been productive in his career. Um, so hopefully we see some development. If not, you know, there's a draft. There's Kyle Pitts. Yeah, uh, I'm not anti drafting Kyle Pitts. I think that right now maybe we don't need to. Uh, but, you know, it's always there. So. Evan Ingram is definitely in my kind of the crosshairs for me in this upcoming season. Um, honestly, so is Daniel Jones. Uh, a lot of players are. Um, I have been the highs and lows of Daniel Jones. Like, some weeks I love him, some weeks I hate him. Um, some weeks I'm ready, just like, what are we doing? So it, it's going to be a very crazy season. I think that uh, the Giants, as of today, right now, are a much better team on paper than we were three weeks ago. So, you know, there are signs of life, there's signs of improvement, even though, like, we sold, we, we sold everything we had to get a couple of players. I think sometimes we overpaid here and there, but, you know, hopefully talent speaks to that money that's been invested, especially with uh, Kenny Galladay. Um, you know, we see some production soon. We see some life. You, you really hit on just about everything that I wanted to, to go on the directional just a little bit there. And I like it because it's kind of a broad overview of, I think, where this conversation is headed. So I'll pose this question uh, to you, Jeff, and then, and then to, you know, Isaac, a, an opportunity to uh, rebuttal afterwards. But I, I, I'll actually say this. This is what I told Isaac last week, and I'll, and I'll repeat it this week because I really wanted to get the opportunity to get, a, you know, another Giants fan's perspective on this. 
I think the, the New York football giants are in the exact situation that the Cleveland Browns were last year uh, with Daniel Jones versus Baker Mayfield kind of in the same situation. We came from a situation where I think Baker's stretches are bigger. Like you had a really good rookie year and then a bad year under Freddie Kitchens and just like don't don't get me started on Freddie Kitchens and John Dorsey and, and all of that stuff there where, you know, Daniel Jones wasn't one good, one bad. It, it's more of a game-to-game basis from him uh, in, instead of a full year stretch kind of what Baker's is. But you're in the same situation where you're in year three and you just have no idea. So, in my opinion, the Browns did it right. And I think the Giants are making an attempt to do that now. And that was the Browns said, hey, we're fixing this offense because we need to know if we have a quarterback. We need to know if Baker Mayfield is the dude. And we can't have any more excuses. Now, with the Kenny Galladay signing, with with the, the Kyle Rudolph signing, obviously we don't know what's going on with Andrew Thomas and Nate Solder and that offensive line being shuffled around. But it looks like you're getting to the point where no more excuses for Daniel Jones. So as of today, where do you stand on Daniel Jones? Do you think he can take that next step? Or are you kind of in the in the belief of like, hey, if Trey Lance is there at 11, like, I mean, where are you at on that? I have only spent 25 minutes. I could probably spend 45 minutes on Jones. I, I have a lot of mixed emotions. Like, I, I see the spark of genius there, and I see the ability to scramble and the ability to throw downfield. And I don't want to give the guy a pass. I think we're on phones. I don't want to give the guy a pass because he's going to start delivering. Now you've got the tools in front of you. You've got a better uh, tight end. You have a new number one wide receiver. Hopefully, Saquon Barkley comes back. But, I mean, you. The big question for me with the Giants is not Jones. Is what's management going to do? And the offensive line is not protecting Daniel Jones. I don't want to see a guy that's out of the pocket on twenty five percent of his plays and hoping that we're going to complete that pass. You know, one in two or three seconds, get third and and get it where it needs to be. Those weapons are there, but if that offensive line is just caving on top of you, uh, I mean, yes, Daniel Jones has to deliver, but. I don't think the Giants done anything to make this guy a sole quarterback in the NFL. And I don't think they put the right tools around him. I think you're right in that you know, it, year one was weird. You're coming off a few and then you had last year and COVID and new coaches and new systems. And so this is, is I believe, his third year, but his second year in the system. Yeah. Yeah. So if we don't see measurable improvement and uh, – then, yes, we're going to start questioning it. I think Daniel Jones is here for at least another, let's say he's not successful this year. He's here for two more years. Because yeah. I, I see them building the tools and then going out and trying to get a franchise quarterback. I don't see that going to be a traffic Daniel Jones. But you got to see them you know, take away the struggles from the offensive line. Does he get better? Does he protect the ball better? Uh, and, you know, and finally, I pray to God with Saquon Barkley back. I don't want to get as our quarterback be our number one rushing touchdown yeah. generator. Giants football. Yeah. I mean, I, I can honestly agree more with what you said. The offensive line is what you, what you kind of touched on there. And we saw the progression. I, I guess what we can't somewhat of an improvement on the line 
later in the season last year. And as the line progressed and they got bad for a game and they got decent for a game and it was bad, you saw Daniel Jones really start to get hot when he was getting protection, right? His uh, completion percentages went up, turnovers dropped, types of throws that he was able to make were just impressive. You know, you really started to say, okay, this is Danny Dines. We understand what they saw. But like you said, if there's no protection there, it doesn't matter about Saquon Barkley. It doesn't matter about Kenny Galladay. We've seen this time and time again as a Giants fan. Eli Manning's a prime example. They bring in Odell Beckham. They have their Cruz at one point in time. They have all of these receivers. They have Saquon Barkley for a year. And a terrible offensive line, and we had a terrible offense, even though we had weapons all over the place. And you and I could sit here probably for three hours and throw Odell Beckham Jr. under the bus. Oh, come on! But we're not going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to actually give him some credit here and say, in an interview this past year, mm-hmm. he went on to say one of the things that he was most upset about with the, with the New York Giants organization that they didn't bring out the things they needed to to help you. He actually said that they wasted the final years of Eli Manning. And, you know, for the longest time, I was like, man, Odell Beckham Jr. don't like you, don't like you. But when I read that, I was like, man, I've got respect for you. Because he caught how you see it. And that's legitimately what happened. They brought on all these guys. They let the offensive line fail. They let Eli Manning fail. And I don't want to see that happen to Daniel Jones this time. Um, I'm hoping, honestly, that they make some moves in the, in the draft to help beef up the offensive line. There's some decent names on there. See what can happen. I think maybe we see a veteran get brought into the line. I don't know. Uh, but nonetheless, if they don't address that, like you just said, then very likely we're going to see a struggling quarterback again. Um, it'll be interesting to see what type of measurables of improvement that they're looking for out of Daniel Jones. Is it wins? Is it percentage of uh, completion? Is the turnovers being lower? It's hard to tell what metrics they're going to be looking at to determine, you know, is this our guy moving forward or do we need to start the process to go in for another search of a quarterback? And I think one critical piece that we've seen with all the signings that we had, we went into the offseason knowing we had deficiencies that tight end, wide receiver. Uh, I mean, our defense, I think, was uh, above par. Uh, and obviously, offensive and healthy. And now we've gone out and we solved some of those things. So if the Giants go into this draft and don't do anything but get the best offensive lineman that they possibly can, then we're right back to where we were four or five years ago as Eli Manning, I mean, uh, for some of his deficiencies that he ran past, he was still a great quarterback. And the, the, the last three or four years of his career, it drove me nuts. I'm watching, I'm like, I know, I know he can make the stats. I know he can do this, but that, you know, two point two seconds to actually get planted and make the correct throw, but... You know, that, that's what's cost them. So the yeah, Giants have tipped their hands, you know, going into the draft. You know what they have to do. There's only one thing left, and that's a, that old line. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. yeah, and you know, and, and, I, and I, I can think it's very, like I said, it's, it's just the exact situation that the Browns were in going into this past season. I mean, Baker Mayfield was in the same spot. I mean, anything, you say what you want about Baker Mayfield. He has never been afraid of the moment. But if you watch Baker Mayfield in 2019 behind that offensive line, he was afraid to take dropbacks because he was getting killed. And you cannot evaluate a quarterback 
if he can't play his game. Daniel Jones is a hella athlete, right? He's a freak athlete. But that doesn't mean he needs to be having to be an athlete on every play. It's it just it doesn't. He's he's a quarterback, not a running back. So if he's running for his life, it just it doesn't set up good things. So we did the obligatory uh, talking about the quarterback. So let's talk about some things they have done this offseason, right? I love the Kyle Rudolph signing. I love the Adoree Jackson signing, and I love the Kenny Galladay signing. But I'll ask this question. And that is, did Gettleman give out – I think Gettleman's trying to save his job, right? So I like these signings, but I'm not sure I love these contracts. So where do you stand on those three – well, Kyle Rudolph's contract's fine. It's the Adoree Jackson and the Kenny Galladay contracts that I think bother me. Because, I mean, Adoree Jackson, when he's healthy, is amazing. But it's been two, two – I mean, he played, he's played 14 of the last 32 games. So where do you stand on those three players, but then where do you, and then kind of like caveat to where you stand on the contracts he gave? I mean, I, when the, the, the news broke that we signed Dallas Gallaudet, I at first said, hey, this is great. I'm, you know, it's, I'm thinking it's going to be low risk, one, two years, and we're going to get, we're going to, at least we got a number two years. We still got Shepard back there and, you know, opportunities in the slot. Uh, but when I saw that it was four years, I was a little dumbfounded. Because we're going into a draft right now where, you know, obviously we need a number one receiver. We got O-line, and even if you fix the O-line, we're probably two, three years away from really being strong and having the experience that we need to make fun of this. But I, I, I still, we have this draft that could be potentially wide receiver one. Yeah. Why does you know, speed uh, people uh, who have been very successful on the collegial level but don't have the injury history that Galladay comes with? So the four years at it, I, I, I don't I, – a lot of these signs come with injury risks, even Rudolph. It's a probably the last contract of his career. So what are we committing to right now? And if you're going into a draft where, if you ask me, I, I think we've improved. We're not, you know, necessarily a 10-win team, but I can see nine wins and winning the division. I think the path is there. We're not going far. We're not a Super Bowl team yet. I, I get that. But long-term, for the next two, three, four years, I have been in control with all of these contracts. Where, like, where, where do we go from there? Do you, I'd like to start Let's draft yeah. Yeah. Guys. I was just gonna add one 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 thing with these picks. Um, and it's not related regarding the contract or the amount of money, but one thing that I do take as kind of a promising sign is that the New York Giants are now again attracting big names, right? And so to me that's a that's a step in the positive direction. Um, it's not it is not any credence to what Dave Gettleman has done, in my honest opinion. Uh, yes, he signed these guys' names, but I think it's the atmosphere and the culture that has been changed with the coaching developments over the past year. Um, I'm a big Joe Judge fan. I really do like Joe Judge. Um, I like them from day one. I've liked everything that he's done so far. I've liked how he's been able to bring out the better um, 
the best of the players there, and I think able to be kind of a uh, uh, hybrid approach with some players, you know, pace and find what suits them the best. So I think that is something that's good for attracting names like Zori Jackson, like Kenny Galladay. They could have very well different teams that they may have thought I might have a better chance going to the playoffs or I might have had a better chance getting to a Super Bowl than the New York Giants. So that's my uh, positive reign, I guess, for the second. I, I, think there, I think there's a lot of merit there. And you think about Daniel Jones, not to rehash the prep conversation, but you don't see a lot of NFL players or people on the inner circle dogging on Daniel Jones. You know, they know it's there. And I, I see him as a huge show of So if, you know, the, the Rats at the, at the Giants, I mean, I love Joe Judge. He's my second favorite judge in New York. I just want to make sure that's crystal clear. Uh, you know, it sell the point that, you know, we are going into the draft in, in two years. We think we are going to be, uh, you know, a 10, 11, 12 win team. I can see that. I, I think you, what you're saying, there's a lot of merit there. But I get the merit why they would sign. I am not convinced that they are going to be getting through this and playing 75% of the games. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's uh, what he said to me on both of those signings because, like, yep. I'm like – I'm like that that guy that scours Twitter in the NFL world, and and he, his job's a little bit more busy than mine at my day job is. So like I see these things quite often before he does, and I'm like, hey, did you see this? Did you see this? Did you see this? Every time, that's what he said with me. He was like, listen, and I said the same thing on last week's show about the Browns' potential interest in Adoree Jackson. Dude's on the field, he can ball. But you gave him a lot of money for a guy that's played 14 of his last 32 games. Same with Galladay. Yeah, so and that's that's one thing that I was so surprised with these contracts is two two of the guys have missed significant time, but yet they have had major payouts. Right? To me, in the negotiation world, you can look at Dory Jackson and you can look at Kenny Galladay and you can say, hey, yeah, you're a talented player. But, you know, you here, Dory, you played 14 out of 32 games in the past couple of years. And then Kenny Galladay, you, you played five games last year. Yeah, you had success in years prior to that. But last year, where were you? You were hurt. And we don't know where you're at. So because of that, we'd love to have you. But on a you're, not deal. Million, yeah, yeah. you're not getting $18 million a year. Don't be the Bengals and insult the man by any means. But, like... Sign him a fair contract, but I do. I think that um, some of the values were a little bit inflated. I think they may have been able to get some cheap, but you know, the Giants could have seen it. They've got all of these players like, hey, if we don't make a good deal, a good contract offer, we're going to lose those guys. You can make the argument too that maybe the Giants are the only ones that gave them this kind of contract offer because they're well who's done stupid things like that in the past. Yeah, absolutely, this would be the first time. That sounds like a like I'm not trying to like beat a dead horse, but it sounds like a gentleman move. It's my like yeah. Like I like listen. I want like if the Browns ever play the Giants. Like, I mean, they played last year, obviously, but if they ever play in a real game of consequence, it's the Super Bowl. So I have no reason to want the Giants to do poorly. I mean, 
you can ask Isaac. The two Super Bowl wins we watched together, I was right there cheering along with him, of course, because, you know, my team was, you know, on the couch. But anyway, so we're not going to rehash the past, people. But so we're coming up on time. I told you guys that we would come up on time. And here we are coming up on time. So I I don't have any other questions. So if Isaac has a specific question, you go ahead and fire away. I'll drop my Baker Mayfield question. We don't need to fight about it, you know. But so I give you the offer, you guys the opportunity, him to ask you a question, and then you to say whatever it is you want to say. Plug whatever you want to plug. Like three people that are related to me listen to this show. So like you know we can you know we'll go from there, and I'll let the two Giants fans take away the last few minutes of this interview. So. You know, I'll ask you a quick question, and and then we'll give uh, we'll give you your time for your uh, Baker Mayfield question. As long as Jeff doesn't have any opposition of talking about Baker Mayfield, but I will. Sounds good. Sounds good. So my my question is this: as a fellow Giants fan, you know, with with the moves that they've made, with the upcoming draft, you know, I know you touched on the offensive line and that being a priority, but in a dream scenario, what is the next move that you think? would be the best thing to happen to the Giants. Um, it could be probable. It could be impossible, but it's just something that you'd like to see. I'm just curious. What would it be? Oh, well, I'm going to give you a, my probable one would be to fire Jason Garrett. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I have a lot of beef with that guy. I, I understand. Uh, well, let's see what he does this year. He's got one year under his belt. Man, what would I let? Aside from an offensive line, uh, you know, I, I would say this about football in general, is I want to see the game get back to the 80s and 90s team. I want to see them grind it. I want to see them battle and fight for every inch. I look at the NFL now, and I feel like I'm playing ball game sometimes, and I love a quarterback that can run. Michael did fighting early on, and there's been other quarterbacks like RG3 that can, you know, scramble and really make an exciting play, but I want to see the team and get back to team and football, and that's battling. Fight every inch. I love a low-scoring game. I want to I want to know at the end it's 17 to to 14 a field goal or a touchdown is going to win this game like I, I like that and I look at what the Giants are doing and I think they're trying to build for the big play I think they're trying to build for the pizzazz and Barkley can certainly you know run for it but we're we're talking about a wide receiver one and Daniel Johnson he's just going to hump the ball and we're going to have 60 65 yard touchdown passes alone. Don't get me wrong, throw me three of those a game and I'm a happy man. But I would say what I would love to see the Giants do is get back to team as football. Yeah, and to add on that and not to elaborate, you know, over the past couple of years, the New York Giants have lost very close games um, within a one-score game. And so I would like to see something that I want to see this season and going forward is that the Giants have the ball or potential last possession of the game to potentially go down the field and win it. I don't want to have that feeling of when the Giants are on offense and in a position to win where I already know that we're going to lose, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. If too many times last year, I would text Jason and say, 
well, game is over. We're going to we're going to choke at the last possible second. It used to be in the days, you know, with Eli Manning and the Amon Brash from the Brandon Jacob days, you know, in the in the two thousands, where if they got the ball in the last two minutes, it was game over, I and mean, they were going to win that game. I want to get back to that feeling of football. I mean, that's what the Browns did at the beginning of the year. You ran the football, and you and you did play-action, big-shot football. And it, and it worked while they were learning the offense, you know, with, without having a preseason. I mean, you listen, Nick Chubb, uh, number, I have a Nick Chubb jersey. I'm the number one fan of Nick Chubb. I, I love that kind of football. I run the football, man. That's, that's my kind of football. Don't get me wrong. I love points. I love big plays. But, like... If you can run the football, you can do whatever you want. Yep. So, yep. So I'm gonna ask one Baker Mayfield question. Here we are. It's, it's the end of the it's the end of the interview. It's one Baker Mayfield question, and then you can hang up and be just talk mad shit about me. That's fine. It's okay. I don't care. So, <clears throat> I've asked this question. I've asked it before, and and if you say no, that's okay. But if you say no to this question, you got to elaborate and you got to tell me who it is, okay? So I said earlier, and this is indicative of if he can play like he did in the back nine of this season. That was the best football I've ever seen by a Browns quarterback, and I'm 30 years old. That's in my lifetime, period, right? And I made this bold statement a couple of weeks ago, and I'll fight it to the death. And I mean, you don't have to agree with me, but if you don't agree with me, I'd like to know where you slot him and who's above him. Is Baker Mayfield a top ten quarterback? Ugh. I know, I know, I came for it. Well, yeah, I, I have to just respond to one statement you made while I ponder my response. Okay, okay, yeah. You, you, you Baker Mayfield is probably the best Browns quarterback that you've seen in your lifetime. How low is that bar? Well, the bar is low. I mean, the best, okay, so like for me, before Baker Mayfield, well, you know, there was the Brian Hoyer. He's the only quarterback since 1999 not named Baker Mayfield that has a winning record as a quarterback, and he's 10-6, and and he got derailed by Johnny Football, so there's that. There was the Derek Anderson season. Yeah, the bar's pretty low. It's pretty low. Okay. All right. So, basically, you say that's quarterback. Yes. That does not make him a, a top-ten quarterback. Okay. Okay, that's fine. And, and if, if the reason why I say that is what made him a good quarterback last year is the run game. You know, hot tub, punch. These guys, they're pounding up the middle, and I think, you know, early on their schedule is a little bit easier or a little weaker. Uh, and, yeah. you know, they were very successful because you didn't know what was going to get thrown at you. Later on in the season, when he started having to chuck the ball, and his running backs, he didn't know you had for game to game, was not as successful. Mm-hmm. So, if he said top 15, I'd be like, ah, I, I, I put one, I think I can buy it. But there are still too many great quarterbacks. Let, let me say this. Honestly, God, position. Daniel Jones is a better quarterback. Well, I don't. I don't. I don't want to insult somebody when they're a guest. <laughs> like, we can have that argument. Honest to God, we can have that argument. I think... They're the same, though. Yeah, they are. They are. They're very similar, and 
Uh, I, I think what makes Baker Mayfield successful is the tools that he has around him. And what I think Daniel Jones, is, what, what's making him successful right now is he hasn't had a lot of tools around him, but he's still been top 20. Right. But I, I think Daniel Jones is more athletic than Baker Mayfield. I'll never, like, and, and I'm not saying Baker's not an athlete, but he's like, Baker's not running for 80 yards. He's also not tripping himself. I'm just saying he runs into the end zone. He does. <laughs> if we're taking shots, I've just got to get mine in there, too. I, this is my thing. Yeah, if you no, play, run 80 yards of the thing, so, you know. Well, an argument would be made if he had the football, he couldn't do it. But every time Chubb, have you ever noticed that every time Chubb breaks, like, an 80-yard touchdown, Baker's actually the first person to meet him in the end zone? Like, that's what I love about Baker is, like, that he's a, you know, like, he, he's a teammate guy, right? Like, he loves his teammates. As well. See, I would I don't have an issue with you saying he's not a top-ten quarterback. Um, you say you put him around the middle of the tier, and, and I think that that is fair. I think that's incredibly fair. Because you can't say nine games outdoes the previous two and a half years where your rookie year, you were good. The year after that, it was hard. 2019 was hard. And even the beginning of 2020 was hard. Down the stretch, I think he finally learned in Kevin Stefanski's offense. I mean, I'm super excited. The dude has had four play callers in three years. I am super excited to see him a second year in it. Same thing that you guys get to finally see with Daniel Jones is the second year in a system. I think it's it's great. Listen, Jeff, you've been amazing. We ran over time. I don't care. We would love to have you back sometime. So if you've got a second, I know you got a podcast coming out. If you want to hit us with the details with that real quick before we wrap this up. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I have a, a baseball podcast coming out called Beyond the Scenes, and uh, our our mission and our goal is to dive into everything that makes baseball great. That is on the field. So we have interviews lined up with scouts, uh, a couple uh, minor league GMs, uh, a baseball beat writer, uh, and really, you know, people who can give different light on what makes the game great and what attracts us to the game. But you know really giving homage to the ones that, you know, New York Yankees, the greatest baseball team of all time, but without the supporting cast, they're nothing. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. I had a conversation with you the other day via text about that podcast. Um, I listen to podcasts while I work out, and I, I'm really intrigued by the idea. I think, I mean, like, I'm more of a casual baseball fan and more more all in on, on football. I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan, unfortunately. Um, and, yeah, it's, it, you know, it, it, it like, like the concept of winning a lot, but so I'm very, I'm excited about that, but we, we, we're happy that you came on. Um, we will, we look forward to, to your show. We look forward to having you back on and, um, you know, just, just thanks. We appreciate it. All right. Okay. Well, that was that conversation went about ten minutes longer than we intended it to go. It was a great conversation. Um, I only disagree with. I don't think you know. I disagree with uh, the the Baker Mayfield Daniel Jones debate a little bit. But I, I told him I wasn't going to insult a guest, and I won't insult him post haste either. He's not here to defend himself. I will not attack him. But that hurt my feelings. I'm kidding. I don't have feelings. That's what this show is about. I. You know what I really loved about our conversation with him. More than once, he had disagreements with one of our takes, even with you about the same team. And I think both of you guys were able to take a differing views about the same group and the same question. And we just had a great, mature conversation. 
you don't see that enough on the internet, man. It's like, if you don't think that, if you think that, I'll give you an example. Like, oh, you think that uh, Baker Mayfield's trash. If, if, if I say Baker Mayfield's good and then you think he's trash, you're like, oh, you stupid moron, he's trash. You know, that's just like, that's why, you know, people, people be better, man. Just be better to people, man. I, I didn't realize that as soon as we that I was going to get on a soapbox of, uh, of morality on social media tonight, but I did. Like, like people just need to be better. I really enjoyed our conversation. He told me Baker's not a top ten quarterback. I think he's a top ten quarterback. He gave me legitimate reasons too. He just didn't say, oh, you know, because right. Like he's like he's like you know Baker's probably somewhere in the top fifteen, top half. And I'm like okay, man. Like I can. I'm with you on that. I love to have a disagreement with somebody when we can have a great, mature conversation. So, I totally blew by this. So I'm going to ask you this. I didn't get an op- we didn't get an opportunity to uh, ask Jeff this, and we thank him a million times over for coming on the show. He was a great guest. Um, we're working on another guest named Jeff next week. We'll see if we can make that happen. That'll be awesome. The double Jeffs. Okay, so. I forgot to ask about the Kyle Rudolph situation that popped up yesterday. Uh, they're looking at the possibility of him requiring foot surgery. And, I, and of course, I asked you, guys, you last week about the Kyle Pitts situation and if this would change your opinion because of a potential injury to Kyle Rudolph. Uh, well, it looks like they, they, they inked the deal today. It looks like he will be back in time for training camp. Do you have any kind of concerns, or do you think where the Giants personnel – the Giants were the ones that identified the problem – and now they're the ones that say it's okay to sign off on the deal and they're going forward. Do you have any kind of inkling concerns or you just think, ah, it'll be fine, full steam ahead? You know, anytime you sign a guy that's been in the NFL, you run the risk of injury stuff, right? Um, Kyle Pitts is no more injury prone, or not Kyle Pitts, sorry. Um, Kyle Rudolph is no more injury prone than Kenny Galladay and Georgia. Don't have had injuries in the past, right? Yep. Um, the good thing is, is the Giants found it, identified it, and came up with a pathway to resolve the problem before training camp. So I will say this: as long as he is ready to go for training camp and productive part of the offense uh, this upcoming season, then I'm good. Yep. I really am. Let everything else lay where it's at. A lot of guys have surgery in the offseason. Yeah. A lot of guys do. Um, it's the time to have it. Yeah, I don't think it's too much of a, a cause for concern. If it was a huge deal, then I think you would have seen the contract and the deal uh, kind of uh, fade, out, fade out because of it. But they signed it. It's official. He's a giant. I think we fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm in the same spot with it. Uh, I was worried when it first came up because anytime you see a guy um, – I told Dad, you know, when we got John Johnson the third until the until Wednesday, and the and the team officially announced him, he actually signed it. I was afraid something would come up, and the Browns weren't going to get him. You know, same with Troy Hill. His one, I think the language got there was a tie up on the language, so his official announcement did come to a little bit later. But I was worried when I first saw it. But then when the when the Giants, like I said, the Giants were the ones that identified the problem. So then when they went ahead with signing him, I'm like, well, then they must think like you said that a Week one, he's out there. So why does it really matter? That's when you want him to have the off-season surgery. I mean, that's when Odell had his surgery last year for his oblique. And, of course, you know, he tore his ACL as well. But that was that's where it was, you know. And Jarvis Landry did the same thing. He wasn't 100% for a couple of weeks into the season. But still, it's better than missing the entire season to recover from a hip surgery and, and, and that sort of thing. 
So we've been a, bit, a little bit of a giant Citric episode this week. Um, I think we had some great football conversation. I think that's what people come here to listen to. I, I got one thing to unload, and it's not about Baker Mayfield. It's not about the Daniel Jones comments that were made this evening. Uh, no, I like Daniel Jones. You know, you know, I want Daniel Jones to be successful as much as I think you want Baker Mayfield to be successful. Uh, I have no reason to hate your Giants. You are my friend. Therefore, I want your team to be good. That's where we are. I told you, I sat here last week. I sat here two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whatever many weeks ago you want to say. And I said, I absolutely want no part of Jadavian Clowney. I've been banging that drum. I've been banging that drum. Today, Cleveland had Jadavian Clowney in town for a visit. And whilst I still am a firm believer that I don't want Jadavian Clowney, I'll say this. I will take Jadavian Clowney over not signing another veteran pass rusher to help Tack McKinley opposite Miles Garrett. I will do that. And I think... I think I've always been open to this. Listen, I trust Andrew Barry's way smarter than me. So if he thinks that the Browns need Jadavian Clowney, he's probably right. I I got had a conversation with this guy on Twitter. Um, I I like to do this thing where I post on the weekends. What is your hottest Browns take? And I ask Browns Twitter to give me their hottest Browns take so that we can talk about it. And this guy said that Jadavian Clowney makes a Super Bowl champion. So we had a conversation about it, and he made some points, and he got me swayed enough to say, at the end of the conversation, if the money's right, I'll be okay with it. So this is what I'll say about Jadavian Clowney. If it is a one-year deal, and it's under $10 million, I'll accept it. That's where I'm at. Listen, i got to accept it either way. The Browns do not care what I think. I gotta accept it either way. I think Jadavian Clowney, his sack numbers are always been inflated. They're not as good as what anybody acts like. He is a good. He does set the edge well against the run, better than I think other people um, think, realize that he does. He he's not a garbage player. I think he's an overhyped and overvalued player, and I'm not giving him the 17 million per that they offered him last year. But I think when all these free agent pass rushers signed for $15 million plus per this year and the Browns sat out on all of them, I think it showed you they're not giving out that kind of money. If I get Jadavian Clowney at 7.5, 8.5, not fully guaranteed, maybe 5 or 6 of it, if I can get him at a hit where his cap hits no more than 6, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. I just really would prefer if we could go somewhere else. That's just, this is where I'm at. Yeah, I'm not a big Clowney fan either. Um, but I agree with you. If you can get him at a one-year deal, at a moderately priced deal, like a, a prove-your-worth type of deal, then why not? I mean, I mean if you don't take a huge cap to for him, and you can get a productive year out of it, and maybe you can see, like, oh, man, this guy's recovered, and he's done well, and it's not him after that. Sure, but I agree. He's not worth anything more than 10. Yeah, and, and it's like, and I think when you still draft potentially a first or a second round edge rusher to be the guy next year, 
Because then you get a guy like Joseph Asai, who I think needs a year or so to sit, and I, but I think that dude out of Texas, I mean, Joseph Asai's got all the tools. It'd be perfect to have Clowney and, and Tack McKinley ahead of Asai. It's still, Joseph Asai still gets some stabs, and, you know, and, and he gets to be around Miles Garrett, you know, Jadavian Clowney. I mean, for everything that Jadavian Clowney isn't, he is a he is an athletic freak. Um, Jadavian Clowney it, it, one of the better college football prospects I think we've ever seen coming into the draft. I mean, if if he signs, did you know they would be the first pair of defensive linemen drafted number one overall on the same team? Yeah. Him and Miles Garrett. So, really, that's all we got. Uh, the Browns signed Malik Jackson. They signed... Um, Ooh, buddy, they signed a linebacker who I just completely blanked on his name, and I feel absolutely crappy about that. But the Browns have made the Browns have made some more smart signings. But when you look at the contracts and the cap hits, which are almost non-existent, the Browns are gearing up for some for something. One of my favorite Browns followers over at follows over at the OBR, Jake Burns. Who I just learned, just learned is right now recording a podcast with one of my one of our Blue Wire Hustle friends, Brad Ward, which I just saw that pop up on my Twitter, and I'm super excited to go watch and listen to that later. Um, Jake Burns said, man, it feels like the Browns are getting ready for something big. Feels like they're getting ready for something big, the way they're structuring all this. And, and I think the Browns are getting ready for something big. I think Gettleman's pulling out all the stops to save his job. And it could work. I hope it works. He's pulling out all the stops. So I'm done. I think I'm good. You got anything else for us this week? I'm good. All right. Well, with another thanks to Jeff for coming on the show. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. If I can find the stop button.